in our in our research, like Kay kind of hinted at, we started with Dave, but we were like, all right, we got addicted. There's a ton of people who've said things about money. Not everything Dave is saying is working for us. What else is out there? And this concept of systems really started to come out and it it worked. And six months later, we were we went from, you know, arguing to not being able to pay grocery, you know, not being able to pay for groceries and rent to we we've paid off all of our debt. And then three months after that, we had a six month emergency fund, which, you know, give or take at the time wasn't too much because we were newlyweds. But we saw like, oh my gosh, we can manage money together. We can do this. We can take good things and make sure they produce better things. We can take the inputs and make better outputs. And that's leverage in, in, our, in our opinion is taking and making it and multiplying it. Welcome to Lessons in Leverage, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of success. We'll help you unlock the secrets of leverage so you can amplify your impact in the world. Here's your host, Spencer Lowe. Welcome back to another episode of Lessons in Leverage. And I'm really excited today because we're going to learn about how personal financial skills are a key form of leverage that can improve your life. And I personally would have never been able to start a business if I didn't have savings and a runway before I went and quit my job. And so from the time I bootstrapped that first business and was able to see how those skills translated into the freedom and the leverage that I wanted in my life, it led to where when people ask me for advice that are either not entrepreneurs or early entrepreneurs, Usually the first skill I'm trying to teach someone that I care about is you have to get your personal finances in order if you want to be able to go play bigger games, whether that's starting a business or just taking additional risks and doing more ambitious things with your life. So with that in mind, I reached out to two people that I deeply respect, Dan and Kay Oki. They are the founders of a company called Sensei, and that's spelled very perfectly for a finance company, C-E-N-T-S-E-I. I love that. And so they have this financial coaching company. They co-founded it in 2018 after almost losing their new marriage to personal finance struggles. Dan and Kay currently lead a team of eight financial coaches, and the team at Sensei has worked with over 1,400 individuals and couples to implement financial systems that accelerate their financial progress and lead to financial peace. Dan and Kay live in Charlotte, North Carolina with their three children and spend as much time as possible outdoors as a family. Thank you both for coming on the podcast. And I want to start out actually, Kay, by asking you to maybe just define what this end goal is really quick. When I say financial peace, what is financial peace and why does it matter? Hmm. Great way to start us off. Love it. Um, to give you like a very tangible first step of financial peace, when we were kind of talking about this a little bit before uh, we started this podcast, but it is that freedom to be able to do bigger things. So we would define that as a minimum of three to six month emergency savings out of all debt so that that's not all those payments aren't weighing you down. And that's the very first step. And the end end goal, as you mentioned, that's kind of like first step of financial peace is to continually be making progress, hitting goals, progressing ongoing forever, because that's what really brings that excitement and being able to make your dream life happen, which continues that financial peace all throughout your life. I love that description. I mean, if you're not at peace financially, I think the easiest way that I like to think about the opposite is, is like, what's the opposite? Well, it's constant stress. And I think that's what a majority of people feel. They know really clearly what financial peace is not, which is paycheck to paycheck, 
not being able to buy the things you want or think that 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 you know not knowing why you don't have as much money in your account and that is one of those things where then you start stressing and you go man well even though i'm making more money where is it going and why am i not getting as much out of it as i want so we want to help the audience not feel that way but before we get into some of your tactics and wisdom on the subject i want to start by going back and starting where you guys started with your story so tell me a little bit about when you first got married most adults don't have any financial literacy or have, or maybe they do in your case. I think you guys actually had a little bit, maybe from some different sources, but now you've got to reconcile that with someone else and how they were raised and what their values are. So take me back to that moment and tell me about what your story was when you first got married. The The problem is I believed in leverage and <laughs> uh, <laughs> in, in, in the wrong way. And I'm not against financial leverage, but the main problem of what caused all of our struggles in marriage was Kay had grown up the daughter of an accountant listening to Dave Ramsey on the way home from school. And I was like, we're financing everything. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, I would bought some real estate education. I was like, we're going to be real estate millionaires. I was trying to run this digital marketing agency on, on the side. And I was accumulating tons of debt. I went from being debt-free to being 20 grand in, in, in debt, behavioral debt in about six months. And if my behavior continued when we got married, we would double that uh, again. So, was, you know, I was basically on track to put, put ourselves another 20 grand in debt every six months based off of my spending and behaviors with no desire or intent to change whatsoever. And so uh, we got married and that was our, our life at, at that point in time. Yeah. And I think the main concern that Dan brought up isn't even the debt or even the fact that it was multiplying, but more the like desire to change not being there. And that was really hard for me to figure out how do we even talk about this if we're just on complete different pages, completely different worlds almost. So that, yeah, had a lot of contention, a lot of challenges challenging discussions and fighting about money a lot. And that was not how we imagined starting our first six months of marriage, you know, and really we felt like we were the only people in the world that struggled with money and mm -hmm. everyone else had it all put together. And we were the ones that, you know, were out in left field having this terrible time trying to figure this out. And um, ultimately us being able to find other education, other books, and go on that journey together, both of us being humble enough to listen to the other person's side, find a happy medium, figure out where those things fit in our own financial journey, helped us to essentially throw a bunch of stuff together and figure it out with trial and error. And through that experience, we wrote a blog article about our whole experience. We were able to pay off 20 grand of debt in six months while we were still in college and continued to make progress after that. And we wrote a blog article about that and had a lot of response, a large response to that. And soon realized we are not the only people in the world that struggle with finances, surprise. And that was really, you know, kind of helpful in some ways to realize that we aren't the only people and we're not alone. And that kind of started us wanting to create what we've created is that feeling of you're not alone. Let's pull this out from under the bed and talk about things that are hard, these taboo topics, and you don't have to do it by yourself. 
That could be really scary and disorienting, certainly early in a marriage, but I think in general in life, because maybe even early on in someone's marriage, maybe everything they feel is in sync. They've got the same values, beliefs, psychology around money, but things change over time and you find yourself in a situation where, man, our values are conflicting or we're not hearing each other. The communication isn't there. Like there's these sort of meta skills to even before we're really talking about money, when you have to also reconcile with someone else. So they're sort of learning the skills for yourself, but there's not just one set of skills and there's different beliefs and there's different, it's kind of like religion. It's like, you might meet someone who's also very religious, but they might not be exactly the same. And now how do we raise our kids or how do we, there's subsequent decisions, right? So so as you're trying to unpack that, what was the catalyst? How did you go from sort of scared that you're going to lose your marriage and we just do not agree and we're not seeing eye to eye and we are not willing to bend? Was there any key learnings or moments that helped you sort of turn that corner into saying, I'm going to listen, let's take a step here. What were some of those first steps? Yeah, for, I mean, for me, it was really, there was, there's two moments. One, I wasn't managing the business, any business money, any better. I was managing our personal finance money. So um, there came a point where we couldn't afford rent and groceries. And one particular night after a very stressful argument, I walked out, slammed the door and went on a walk. And I was thinking about, you know, I've been married for three months. Life sucks. You know, where are we going to go from here? What are we going to do? And I realized, I said, well, what, you know, I had that thought. And sometimes if you have a spouse, sometimes you have that thought of like, what if they're actually right? You know, that's a crazy concept. That's a crazy <laughs> thought. What if she's right? And I was on that walk and I had a thought and I said, is, are my money beliefs worth my marriage? And I realized the answer was no. And that I was willing to lay aside what I believed financially to be with Michaela. That's I want. I, I wanted to be with her more than I wanted to be right about this. We started this conversation. I said, look, I'm willing to figure this out, but we just don't know what to do. Like, where do we go? Who do we talk to? Like, where do we start? I, I We just had no idea. And I was, you know, as much as I was starting to humble myself, I was not going to listen to Dave Ramsey. So um, we ended up going on a road trip the next week to a friend's wedding in California, which I'm pretty sure we put on credit cards because it was the only way we could get there. And we get to this friend's wedding and at the wedding, our friend's parents were there, obviously, and they were successful. They were financially well off. They were happy. And we just noticed that. And we, you know, they were, they were what we wanted to be in 20 to 30 years. So we asked them, we said, we're, we're struggling with personal finance. Where do we start? What do we do? And they said a couple of things that really helped us. They said, one, just because you're an adult doesn't mean you know how to manage money and you need to stop pretending like it does. Like you already said, Spencer, it's a skill. And so it's something you have to learn. It's something you have to develop and you should stop. We should stop believing that we just know we should just know how to do it. It's not that simple. Um, it's not like, it's not like breathing, you know, you've got to learn. And the third thing they said is, or second thing they said is don't be afraid to go get help from a third party. Like have someone talk to you, teach you like, just like you would with any other skill. And we said, okay, that makes sense. And they said, so we said, well, who's the third party you would recommend? And they said, we'll start with Dave Ramsey. I was like, oh gosh, no. Um, <laughs> And, but at this point I was like, whatever, you know, we, we, we put this trip on credit cards. So let's, let's listen to what we need. You know, let's try it. And we downloaded his book and we listened to it on the way home. And both of us realized that we were both had things we could improve on. Not that we agree with Dave Ramsey on everything we don't, 
but it was a good starting point for us. And so we mapped out on a napkin on that ride home how we were going to pay off our debt. We thought it was going to take us about two years. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a super powerful set of recommendations from some people who are, are there. And I think it takes humility to ask people in the first place and be willing to say, hey, I need some help with this. And so it, it never ceases to amaze me that you'll find people who are at any pay level deeply unhappy, have this same sort of tension still in their marriage, still have a lot of fighting and don't have a healthy way of approaching it or don't feel like they know what to do about it. And so having the humility to say, we need some help. I think that is a great way also to depressurize the me versus you. I'm right. You're right. It's my yeah. opinion. You're your opinion. Cause we get really tribal about our opinions. It's like, Oh, I don't want to be wrong or I don't want to look, I don't want to look weak or, or dumb to my spouse, no. or I don't want to look like I made the wrong choice. And so we get so emotionally invested in these beliefs and these decisions that then it's really impossible. So that third party then is a really good way, a really good middle ground for bridging that, even if you have to start with Dave Ramsey. Yeah, it's it's really, I think that's you know, a really good point. And it's just, we've seen that time and time again, the third party can really de-escalate things. It's not your way. It's not my way. Let's create our way. Mm -hmm. I love that. And learn together and learn together because now we're both at the table learning. And so we can both take ownership of this. We can both feel like it's our idea. We can both feel like we're a part of the solution. So that's, I love that aspect. So then you, you have your plan written down. Now you go about executing on the plan. You said that you thought it would take you about two years. How long did it actually take you to get rid of the 20,000 in debt? Six months. That's awesome. So six months later, is that because some parts of your plan you had made conservative assumptions and you were able to outperform those? Was it because you didn't foresee the way certain things would develop or underestimated some of the compounding effects? What led to being able to get that done faster than you thought? Great question. A few things, but mostly it was developing systems. And that is the part where I felt like Dave Ramsey totally helped us with that initial thing, right? That initial like catalyst, but then doing a zero-based budget or not using credit cards or all these things that are more the tactical things. That was where we were able to do a ton more research, read a ton of blog articles, a ton of books, a talk to interview a ton of millionaires, finding these patterns, finding these things, figuring out where automation fits in, where do systems fit in, where do all of these other things, where do budgeting apps fit in? Where does technology fit in? How does all this fit together? And developing our own financial growth system is what we call it now. Although we did not know that at the time, we were just making up whatever we could do to make it work for us. But that significantly decreased the time. And then I will also say a ton of hard work. And that's one thing you're never going to get around. And I think that's something when we were talking, when Dan and I were discussing this about leverage is putting in the efforts up front for those big yields later is a huge part of leverage. And when you go into it thinking, I don't want to spend any time or I'm spending the least amount of time, I want to make this as easy as possible. You're not going to get that amazing return later. You won't get the same ROI. So I think when we could just, stop looking for the easiest, fastest way and just get started and then make tweaks along the way to our system, making it better and better and better. That's what really made it a lot faster rather than getting in decision paralysis and just trying to find the easiest way to do it. So that's what I would say is systems and hard work. And, and to your point, there were unexpected good things that happened. There were conservative estimates on certain sides. 
just like bad, unexpected things happen financially, good, unexpected things happen. But when you have systems in place, when you've made plans, you're able to make sure that the good things that have happened to you financially actually make an impact. And we've seen that time and time again with clients is like good things, unexpected good things do happen to people financially all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just they don't have a system to turn those good things into the actual progress that they, they're wanting. And the, the opportunities tend to, to slip away. And so in our, in our research, like Kay kind of hinted at, we started with Dave, but we were like, all right, we got addicted. There's a ton of people who've said things about money. Not everything Dave is saying is working for us. What else is out there? And this concept of systems really started to come out and it, it worked. And six months later, we were, we went from, you know, arguing to not being able to pay grocery, you know, not being able to pay for groceries and rent to we, we've paid off all of our debt. And then three months after that, we had a six month emergency fund, which, you know, give or take at the time wasn't too much because we were newlyweds, but we saw like, oh my gosh, we can manage money together. We can do this. We can take good things and make sure they produce better things. We can take the inputs and make better outputs. And that's leverage in, in our in our opinion is taking yep. and making it and multiplying it. As we move on, I, I want to talk about, so you're now in this place where you're growing a business and you touched on this really interesting dynamics. We can go as deep into this as you want or not, if you don't want, but I'm very fascinated with some of the dynamics that I think are very interesting in your situation, which is married couple starting a business together. I think there's people who wonder, Oh, can that work? Or what are the challenges that come with that? So we can dive into that if you'd like. And I think this concept of gender roles and this idea of how do we balance, especially if we're co-founders and we're working together, it's one thing to decide like, are we both going to work? Is one of us going to work? Kind of those types of roles in the home. But then if we're both going to work, we're both going to work on the same company. How have you seen success in doing that? You mentioned that, um, you know, you've kind of been through some of those things. So I'm curious for people listening who might be wondering either, I wonder if I should start a business with my wife or my husband, my spouse, or, oh, it's really hard. What are we going to do with our careers? Because we both want to work or, uh, you know, but we have kids and we really want to be home with the kids. Any lessons that are high leverage that you've learned from that as you've been able to do kind of both? Yeah, uh, there's a we lot to this. This could, this could be in three oh, episodes. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I think there was a moment when you know the kid the kid dynamic of our family started getting to be more demanding, and I remember Kay was having a hard time deciding what she wanted to do because she, in a sense of Kay, and I'm speaking for you, so slap me, but, um, (laughs) is, uh, is that she wanted in a sense to be a full-time parent and not necessarily a a full-time, like take care of the house, but a full-time parent. Like she wanted to spend the time with with the kids. She also is an entrepreneur. She loves working on, on business. And so there was this real, real challenge where I remember one conversation one night, it was like, she was like going back and forth and she was feeling frustrated. And I just said, go get a job. Or, or go do this full time. Let's get a sitter. Like, let's, let's do this. And she looked back at me and she said, no, I don't want that. And that like solidified how we were going to do things from that point forward, which is we're, 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 it's going to be harder. It's going to probably be more challenging. It's going to mean slower growth in some, in, in a business side, but we are going to intentionally decide that we are going to be the ones who are going to spend the majority of the time with our children and nothing against people who decide otherwise, but that's what we're going to do. And on the part of that conversation was sometimes it would cause, I would like resent Dan. Like I would be like, 
why aren't you doing all this? And I go do it. And I think we had another conversation where Dan was completely willing, like genuinely willing to be like, okay, I'll do that. You, you go do that and I'll do it. I'll be with the kids. And I'm like, I don't want that either. (laughs) And I think that that really like helps me understand that you can't have it all. And so you've got to figure out which things are when they're put neck and neck, what things do you want to do? And I'm really, really grateful that I have that privilege to choose because a lot of people don't. And to be able to choose that opportunity. And even though it has made some of that trade-offs where maybe a financial leverage would make a lot more sense to put our kids in daycare and both of us go all in on this. But for us, when we look at our values first, that's the lens we're looking through, not just numbers, numbers. Yeah. Then that kind of changes the game. And that also giving myself freedom that that might change in the future. That's how I feel right now. And then maybe as our kids get older or we're in a different stage, maybe I'll feel differently. And then we can adjust and change that. So I think that's helpful for me too, not to have one decision that is permanent and this is how it's going to be forever. I really don't like terms like stay at home mom or working mom. I'm like, just forget titles because I don't feel like I fit in either of those. So I just... I'm figuring out what works for us and our family and we'll just keep going that direction and, and through that value lens, making decisions that work for us. Oh, I was just going to say, I think the world really needs your voice, Kay, because it's a very challenging environment. I think that, I think in general, the world has sort of uh, told women a lie, which is like, you can just have everything. What you just said is I can't have everything. I have to make trade-offs and it's true for men too, but I think it's even harder on women in terms of the trade-offs you have to make between if you have that desire to be more involved with your kids, but you have a desire to work, the trade-offs that you face are so significant and and the challenge there is so significant where a lot of times the world makes it out to be a very simple choice. Just, oh yeah, just put them in daycare or this. And again, maybe that's right for people. That's fine, but there's still a trade-off there. Mm -hmm. And so- it's not to judge anyone for how they choose, but it does feel like with the titles and with where the kind of social discourse has gone, that it's like, it's very almost tribal. Like, and so what I love about how you framed it was there's going to be trade-offs titles are irrelevant, but if we work together, we can create something that allows us to do that. And so because you develop these high leverage skills, you were able to create opportunities for yourselves that are allowing you way more flexibility than some people have to actually try to live this life that is balancing some competing priorities because we only have so much time. And I know I feel this all the time. I'm just talking to my wife about it last night of like, I dedicate a lot of time to work and I feel guilty at times of like, am I spending enough time with my kids or am I being a good enough father? And so everyone goes through that on some level. Um, of those trade-offs and there that voice that you just shared i think is amazing and just needs to continue to be celebrated and and shown to the world because it's it's not it doesn't for some reason there's not a lot of good examples of that it's a lot more of the my side your side one or the other one's bad one's good uh you know you and it's just it's it's kind of toxic online in general i'm sure you guys since you do a lot of social media you see a lot of toxicity out there so with that being said Moving then into uh, the business. So you started out, I assume, with you both just coaching individually. Did you kind of build your own? Did you did you co-teach? Did you, was it like you both took on clients individually? And then I, I really want to dig into sort of that process of when you realized we're building something here. 
bigger than us, and now we're maybe ready to hire an employee or start to build the team. Um, tell me about that part of your of your journey. Yeah, for so I mean, it was co teaching from the get go, and the courses was very automated. Actually, at the beginning, we got it got to a point where we kind of achieved where we could cover all of our expenses, and we were just selling the courses, and it was we we had almost achieved this pseudo financial freedom from our business. It wasn't taking a lot of time, but when we were digging into the results of people, it's kind of like when we hit that thousand client mark, we realized that that wasn't, we weren't satisfied with what, you know, people would watch the course and they would get results. There was definitely, we wouldn't have made it that far if people weren't getting results from watching the course, but not everybody was, not everybody was finishing the course. Not everybody was doing everything. And we intentionally said, we want to make this better. We want more people. We want everyone who comes into this program to get results. And so that's what turned us to coaching and saying, what if every person who came into the program had a dedicated one-on-one coach trained in the program who could work? And, and to start, that was just us, right? And it was, uh, we had to make, we had to have a discussion how it was going to work with our family. There was about a year where I was on coaching calls pretty much from morning until 10 p.m. at night with with those chunks that we had divided out previously. Yeah, with like a one two hour break, but from like sun up till I was in a, asleep <laughs> by the time he would go to bed. So yeah, that's definitely a crazy busy season. And kind of that answer, I feel like it was mostly Dan doing coaching at that point when we first started. Actually, solely Dan at the very beginning when we started coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah during that season of the initial coaching launch, I guess. And it was mostly like, I don't think we thought like, oh, we're going to switch our whole company to this right off the bat. We were just like going to test it out and see. We wanted to dive in and like understand the customer journey more. And so a lot of my role during that stage was just discussion, like high level discussion. Like we're learning this. Okay, how can we improve this? What happens with this? A lot of behind the scenes stuff. Also, I think at that point, only Dan had a LinkedIn audience. So I was really doing a lot of things behind the scenes. And during that whole time, that was kind of like what it was looking like. And then as time was getting crazier with Dan, we were like, this is not going to be sustainable for him to do this forever. And I think around that time was when we hired the first coach. Yeah. You say? Yep. We hired one of our first clients who had taken the program. They'd gotten five degrees debt-free. They like graduated their PhD program with a six-month emergency fund while investing, no debt. And they were like, you know, just super fans. You're like, hey, you want to come help coach some of these clients? Because we cannot do it all ourselves. And so it just started. We Then we developed a system for training coaches. And um, and I think that's about the time when I started coaching. Yeah, you started coaching well. and your LinkedIn yeah. audience started growing. And it's just it's just kind of like, I don't know. You read these books. I've re- we've read so many books about businesses and sometimes it just feels like it happens so instantaneously. It happens so instant. But for us, it's just been this gradual like, all right, what's the next step? How do we make this better? We haven't necessarily maybe to a fault sat down and said, this is where we want to be in five, 10 years. Like five years ago, if you said we'd be coaching and have eight coaches and we'd still be doing sensei, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have like even known what that meant or like looked like. And so it's just grown out of an out of a desire to one really truly help people. Like 
we don't want to create a company that just sells something and then people give us money and we get to keep the money and that's great, but the client doesn't isn't actually better off. We really want people to be better off. And so we're trying to figure out ways all the time of how do we make sure that when people get in, they get results. How do we make sure that people grow? And that's what coaching has come from. We're doing coaching because we saw people got better results when we added a coach. And so now to grow that, I can't and Kay can't be the coach. Kay has been so instrumental. You talk about kind of roles. Kay has been especially instrumental on the product side. She really thinks about the customer journey. She really uh, dives deep into that. She figures she she really cares about about where people go and what they do. And that's where we're trying. We're always trying to get back to is like, look, if we just make a really good product, we, we sales and marketing definitely matter, and I love them, but. If we do a good job, people are going to tell their family and friends. And we we keep seeing that as we as we keep getting better. And we're not perfect, but we're getting really good. And our coaches are getting really good. So anyway, long long tangent to say, as it's just evolved out of a desire to truly provide a service that truly leaves people better off with a strong financial foundation with systems in place so they can also have financial peace. So as you've done that and you've grown the team, what's changed in your life? What In what ways has that become a source of leverage for you in terms of having you know, this assistance on the labor side? And what have you learned about sort of managing a team that has allowed you then to honor your original values and goals? Well, time leverage for sure, because going from the, you know, sun up to past sundown of, you know, around the clock working pretty much to now being able to choose our hours, I feel like is a lot better for sure and definitely comes from like I was saying you have to put a ton of effort for that long-term view because you can't just say oh I'll just go hire a coach and they'll do all my all the work like you have to be able to do the grunt work to a degree right so I'd say that's a huge thing that has changed and also this is again maybe I'm speaking for Dan but because he's the one that manages our coaching team but learning management skills that's a whole different skill set than when you're a solo entrepreneur or a co-founder team entrepreneur. And so learning that and communication and now even working more into like group communication, like we're launching this new program or this new part. How do we like get that all streamlined for all the coaches? So it's not just one coach is doing something and the other coach is doing something different. And we have one-on-one meetings with each of them. So it's like the management with them individually versus on a group level. So yeah, yeah training skill. Training has changed. Like the the day-to-day is, you know, basically my day-to-day is changing from I'm working with 80 plus coaching clients to I'm working with eight coaches, our admin team, and I'm going in, you know, I'm we're running data analysis on our Facebook ads and our LinkedIn presence and client results. And we're, you know, product updates, product updates yeah. where, you know, mint.com is going away. So we're switching everybody to our new budgeting, preferred budgeting platform we're announcing next week. And so it's like, it's just, I'm working more on the business than in the business, I guess would, would be the, the phrase that you'd, you'd often hear um, is how my day-to-day has changed. And then I think our conversations have changed more to the high level of, you know, we're sitting down and having all right, we need to sit down and talk LinkedIn. We need to sit down and talk Facebook ads. We need to sit down and talk this app. You know, we just, we went through 10 different budgeting apps together over the last last month and really, you know, tried to, to scope those out. So it's just, 
it's just changed to like now not only how do we empower our clients, but how do we empower our people to win so that they can be successful in their personal lives so that they also can help our clients win. And it's just another layer that I've actually enjoyed a lot more than I expected because a lot of people I would talk to was like, oh, dealing with people and employees is the worst. We've, we've actually really enjoyed it um, so far, but we're still, we're still maybe a little bit early in it. That's awesome. Let's, uh, let's jump to some of the other questions here. So well, actually, before I do that, let's talk. Are there any key tactics or strategies that you want to share with the audience of as a starting point for anybody that, that is hearing this and is saying, hey, we need help like this? What in your clients do you see that are the beliefs or the precipitating events where they can be ready to get coached and to make changes and actually see results? I would say the number one is is just a willingness to to do whatever it takes. It's just a requirement to just say, look, I don't know what I don't know. There's no way I know everything about money. There's no way Kay and I know everything about money, even though we've dedicate our lives to trying to teach people about it. And and when people, when clients come in and they implement the system and they do the weekly financial check-in, which is probably the single most important thing, you talk, you talk about tactics. Here's what I would say to somebody who's trying to get their financial life in order. You got to know where every dollar is going. You got to know where every dollar is going. Get Monarch Money, which is what our new preferred budgeting app is, and start tracking every single dollar and know where every dollar goes. And then look at yourself in the mirror and say, do I really value spending $1,000 on restaurants if that's where your money's going? Do I really care about that? If the answer is no, you are change it. <laughs> and when you start to have control over it and you can track it and you can start to see it, you are in control. And so that's the first step. The second step is you need to review your finances at least weekly. And some people may say, well, that's crazy. I found if you want progress and you want fast progress with your finances, you got to review your finances weekly. It's the it's the it's the way you know. If you wanted if you wanted to work out, you wouldn't go to the gym once a month. You would review your progress. You'd re- go to the gym, and uh, you know more probably even than weekly. With finances, weekly is the cadence that gets people results. And then third, you need a full system after you get those things in place. There's more to it. And if you do it the right way, it can really accelerate your progress. And that system includes a good budget, tracking, automation, communication with your spouse, mindset, uh, mindset and, and a big vision. And all those combine to a system that makes you unbeatable financially if you do it. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's a message of hope and excitement uh, for people. So if, uh, if you're ready to get started with that, we'll put a link in the show notes to Dan and Kay's uh, course, uh, their free budgeting course as, as a, a starting point that you can uh, take a look at. As you look at uh, kind of the future, you know, uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about on this podcast is just the way that the world is evolving with AI. Uh, it's something I'm pretty obsessed with. I work in technology and uh I just think the amount of disruption coming, people are underestimating. But I'm curious for you, are you using AI in your business? Is there anything that you see on the horizon that you think uh, people should know about in this space as far as ways AI might impact or affect their money or affect you know, your system or, or good financial systems? Anything that you're interested in or wanted to share on the AI front about how that's going to change things? Yeah, I think, well, there's probably so much to talk about. Let me try to like... Rain it in a little. 
but one, we are totally not against technology. I think it's much better to ride the wave than to avoid the wave. And so we're always trying to learn more and understand more and implement more, automate more. Anything we can do on that front, we are all for it. And with that said, that in my opinion, will not be sufficient to only have that. Um, we've seen lots of times when people come in and they downloaded the latest app or they did some new thing that limits your credit card or is going to magically make your credit score better or something. And they're just looking for a quick fix and it doesn't do what they want it to do. Right. Because in my opinion, it, all that technology needs to support your behavior change, your habits, your character, all of those things. And in order to make real change often does require work and often an accountability, real people, just like this, being able to actually talk to someone is very different than me talking to some machine for my accountability or something, you know? And so I think um, my hope is that we'll be able to keep learning, keep growing with the technology and keeping that personalized touch, figuring out how to help people to really change and not just rely on that in and of itself. AI is going to accelerate solid systems. And so I think we're stoked as is what we're going to see, I think, is we're going to just, especially in the fintech area and personal finance area, I think we're just going to see easier access to data, easier metrics, better understanding of how things should flow, more tools available to automate more. And that's just all awesome. Like we're, we couldn't be more ecstatic about that. I think Kay's also 100% right. There's been financial tools that have made life easier though already for decades. And it doesn't mean people are using them to change their behavior. And so AI will not, I don't think change core behavior, but pe for people who decide to change core behavior, AI will accelerate the process. I love that. Even as I was just listening to you guys, I was thinking about my own personal finances and AI. And I think actually one of the things I want to toy around with, and you're free to use this, obviously, if, if you find value in it uh, in your business, but I have a premium subscription to ChatGPT, um, yeah. which everyone should have, in my opinion. But if, if you don't, uh, you get that. And they, there's this thing called Code Interpreter where you can just drop data. I want to export my budget uh, from my budgeting tool and drop it in there and then ask it questions like... Do you see anything in the data that shows that, that isn't in line with this value, et cetera? And that tool's interesting, very powerful, but also has its limitations. I mean, I've done a lot with Code Interpreter so far for other purposes, but might be an interesting way to interact with the data um, in a really quick way. And maybe even something you could use with your clients where on your accountability calls, take their data, they give you an export file, you drop it in and you have pre-written scripts you can run that will highlight for that client the things that they're trying to change, areas where they fell short, et cetera, and get to really granular details quickly that then could drive some of the accountability. So I don't know, something you can play with. I, I'm going to play with it I myself because I'm coming up with these ideas. Like the more I play with AI and the more I talk to people, the more I'm like, oh, I got to try this. I haven't tried using it for this. So I think I'm going to try that in my personal life, drop my budget in there and see what the... Posted. Yes. That's really interesting. I would be very curious right. to think about that. And you would actually take the data and make changes. I believe in you. <laughs> so, yeah, so be double I mean, that, 
that's a whole other thing. Yeah, it's it, it's not a replacement for accountability, that's for sure, or discipline. But uh, but that's one of the areas that right now with it, where AI is today, it's an area that I think is exploding and has a lot of potential is data analysis and getting to yeah. answers and asking, uh, you know, plain language questions and getting to pretty detailed or complex answers on a data analysis standpoint um, and just saving a lot of time on that, that where normally you might have to export the data and dig through Excel or use metrics and graphs and try to drill in and can be more time consuming. So it'll be interesting. Sure. I agree with you. I think it's a great tool and uh, I'm very excited to see kind of how it, how it helps us all. If you had any recommendations for your younger selves, so, you know, you go back and you're giving, let's call it uh, the eve of your wedding, the, just right before you're going to get married, you're, you, you decide you're going to give some advice to young Dan, young Kay, and you're each going to give yourself some advice that is going to help reduce the amount of time that you fought and had lit, had that pain. What would those either resources or pieces of advice be that you'd give to your younger self? We'll have uh, Kay go first and then Dan, if you want to. Um, it's interesting. There's two parts. It just a quick one liner. I would say, take the long view. And that would probably help me a lot just to be able to see a bigger picture. But with that said, I actually would not change our financial journey because of how much we learned during that experience. I feel like it was like throwing us in the deep end and we learned to swim really fast. And I feel like I learned a lot faster that way than if I hadn't had that. And I was just like, you know, learning step by step, I probably would have got taken a lot longer. So that's what I would say is that long view approach would probably help me mentally to be happier during that time during that journey maybe and being able to really take a step back and see how this is all fitting together but i wouldn't change the specifics of that journey personally you can't you can't escape the pain but you wouldn't want to because that's what gave you the growth but you yep. could maybe have a perspective that makes it more manageable exactly. that's, that's a really good answer. uh dan i'd give them our program <laughs> here you go <laughs> here's a here's here's all the stuff you're gonna learn future so you don't even have to argue about whether you know, or not it's gonna work we, we know it works yeah um you know all jokes aside i think just there's so much in life and i'm still guilty of this that we just think we have to already know and we don't go ask for help and this comes back to you know a point you made earlier in the conversation but like it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to pay for help. It's okay to go get it. And, and you know, the hard part nowadays is there's so many people offering help. Sometimes it's hard to know who to trust. But if you do find somebody who's honest and integrable and is sincerely trying, and I, you know, I, I pray that's us, uh, in, in, at least in this realm, but in other realms too, it really can, you know, as far as leverage goes, the ultimate leverage is getting access to information and tools and knowledge that you would have never come by on yourself that you can shortcut in a good way to get so that you can get ahead faster, be that any area of your relationship or life. And so there's just been times, you know, we've spent tens of thousands of dollars on coaching and courses since then, but I would just, I would just say, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to admit you don't know everything. Don't be afraid to get a third party because there's so much on the other side of those things that we just don't know what we don't know. Well, I don't think there's any better way to wrap up the interview than with that uh, advice. Thank you both for coming on. Uh, for the audience, check out the show notes for links to Dan and Kay's LinkedIn, to their uh, free budgeting class, to their website, and 
go get your finances in order. It's really the first lesson of leverage. You get that one in order, and then all the other episodes of this podcast will be even more valuable to you. So thank you both. Thanks, Spencer. Thank you. Hey, before you go, I have a small request. Our mission is to empower as many people as possible to maximize their potential through the power of leverage. Could you help us in this mission by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube? And if you know just one person who would benefit from today's episode, would you please share it with them? Your support means the world to us, and we are thrilled to have you in the community. Thank you for being a part of our journey and helping us grow. You can find show notes for today's show and past shows at LessonsInLeverage.com, which also has links to connect with me personally and connect with our various podcast channels across your favorite social networks. A big thanks to Solve.Cloud who sponsored this episode. They're a group of expert consultants that help SaaS and financial services companies to implement, optimize, and manage Salesforce.com. They can help you with custom integration solutions and are helping customers to implement some of the most important generative AI technologies. You can find them at Solved.cloud. That's S-O-L-V-D dot cloud is the URL. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.